Welcome back, Rampants, to the SAS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete. Awesome guest on with me today, fellow enabler. Welcome, Nick Lawrence, to the show, Sales Enablement at Snowflake. Welcome, Nick. Hello, thank you, Pete, for having me. I love, I love the, uh, I love the Nick, the name there, Podcast Pete. I'm gonna have to figure out what what to call myself as well. Yeah, that that I only did the podcast for that. Like, I came up with like everything else on the back, and I was like, how can I be this guy? <laughs> podcast Pete. I like it. Maybe I'll I, I enable enable or Nick or something. Something. Dude, enable or Nick. Yeah. Like <laughs> now, now that that there's two paths in life you can take with that title right there. <laughs> That's so good. Well, I didn't give the full intro, so I should say you're curriculum design manager at Snowflake. But like, so people know sales enablement, and then when you're at such a hyper growth giant like Snowflake, you know you start to subdivide these roles a little bit. Yeah. What, would you tell us a little bit about that role and then maybe we can back into how you got there since we, we know enablements, you know, everybody's has divergent paths leading there. Yeah, absolutely. So it was one of the reasons I joined Snowflake. I mean, among, among many reasons, but one of the, one of them was the, the role in itself and just how well, like large and well-established the team here at Snowflake is, right? Everybody has, there's, there's, there's clear teams and swim lanes in order for us all to kind of like move in the same direction all towards the same kind a common goal and of mm -hmm. course like most enablement teams there's amazing content resources e-learning courses and instructor-led trainings out there available for the reps what they were looking to do is bring on a curriculum design manager somebody that could take a look at all the stuff that's out there available today and think about how do we structure all of this and organize this in a way that is most conducive to how people actually learn new things, develop new skills, and ultimately turn those skills into habits. So starting off with individual programs right now, for an example, we're you know kind of revamping the onboarding program right now, but that'll eventually bleed into designing some like what I'm, what I've been referring to as an enablement ecosystem, right? So something I'm sure we'll probably talk about today is transitioning away from event-based enablement to, to, to more of that focus on the environment, the actual enablement ecosystem that you're building. So that is a, a very quick high-level overview of, of where, where I fall. So I, there's, there's multiple different teams on the enablement team here. I am focused specifically right now on the learning experience design team focusing on that curriculum development. That's cool. Okay. That's, that is really, really awesome. It's nice to hear like that it's so well orchestrated and designed, but it probably has to at an organization like Snowflake, like if you're going to move that fast and get that large over the course of time, good to have that team on board. Definitely. Well, how'd you, how'd you find yourself in enablement? Like what, what was the journey, the personal professional journey that led you there? Yep. I got my first start in sales. So I was an inside sales rep. It was a pretty brutal start. I was selling commercial HVAC, like service and maintenance <laughs> to schools primarily was like that, the, the, the focus that I was on. And it was just really tough because like schools, they have no budget. And they're also like, what? We have a maintenance guy for that. Like, that's why we have somebody that's doing that. So trying to, so, you know, you know, cold calling is hard enough and cold calling to people who really don't need what you're trying to sell is even harder. So I was like, okay, I think I need something. I, I, if I'm going to sell something, I want it to be something that people need. So I got 
my start in software sales at a, at, you know, at a well-established, you know, one of the you know, leaders in the content management space selling, uh, it's more of an inside sales role. I was primarily supporting some account executives there and some of our channel partners in an effort to kind of grow into an account executive role myself. And right before I was getting ready to get promoted to that next level, I started trying to like take a step back and really start evaluating like, what do I really want my career to look like? What do I really want to be doing? And I noticed that in one small portion of the job with helping the channel partners was we also wanted to get them kind of ramped up. Any new partners that came in, we wanted to do some training. There was obviously some ongoing training as like new product stuff came out for our existing customers. And anytime I was involved in that process or leading some of those sessions for the, uh, you know, for the partners, I, I loved it. Like I loved every aspect of it. I, I liked putting the, the stuff together. I liked facilitating it. I liked, I liked helping everybody else, you know, the other people do their jobs. And I, so I was like, oh, well maybe, you know, maybe I should start thinking about something more along to that. Luckily, uh, right, right, right about that same time. And I was thinking that a, a spot on our enablement team opened up. I got my start into enablement. So transition from sales into the sales enablement team and kind of just like hit the ground running with all of it. It was really helpful being in that inside sales role because I was immediately able to put myself in the role of the seller. That's something I think is so important for enablement people to do is really be able to wear their shoes, understand what their day-to-day -day looks like, what their workflow looks like. And luckily I just had a really a really high level understand, a really deep understanding of what tools to use, the processes to to incorporate in order to maximize like my own productivity. So I was able to kind of share those own lessons learned of, of how to leverage all of the, the tools and resources to most efficiently do your job at, at, at the company. So immediately was able to get, you know, off to the races in the enablement space kind of right away, which, which is, which of course was, is helpful because there's so many folks in enablement who kind of, you know, most people that are in enablement kind of just kind of end up there, right? There, there is, there's no college classes or, or degrees in, in enablement. Most of us don't even know what enablement is until we join a SaaS company. So most mm -hmm. people kind of end up in, in, in enablement. And that's, I think, one of the things that's been a, a, a big struggle for, for a lot of teams is most teams, I, I think there, there was a report done by the Sales Enablement Collective. It was their annual survey. I think it was, it was somewhere around like 60, 70% of, of enablement functions are under three years old. The majority of enablement pros are under like, are in that like one or two year time frame. So there's just yeah. a lot of, there's, there's this constant, uh, you know, birth of new enablement professionals, new enablement teams coming in into companies. And I have seen that being kind of a challenge for the function itself, right? It's, it, there's no single kind of cohesive strategy on really how to be the most effective, the leanest, most strategic enablement team or function that you can be partly in do because again, you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. So unless you join a team that's had like a well-established leader that's been in enablement for the last like decade or so, it's really hard to really hit the ground running and making sure that you're hit, you know, hitting on all, all cylinders right away.
Yeah, the the way that you found it, your way in is the same way I did, and I, I feel like it's the best way, especially if you can make the transition within the same organization. You're cheating. You're like you, you've done the role. You've created resources probably for yourself because you're minded that way. Like you were, yeah. you probably have a, a bit of a heart for being a coach, and you probably have some very innate curriculum building skills that you've enhanced since then. But then you take and you kind of flip the script, and then. I think that's a great, like, it's a really, really great way to understand, like, what it is to be a seller and then you, what it is to be an enabler on, like, two sides of the same coin. So that's, that's a, that's a good, good start. Yeah. We could probably get down the rabbit hole a little yeah, bit on the sure. number of years and, like, what that could mean and, and some helpful pieces. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know anything else to say as far as that one goes. Cause I know that that's something you've put out on LinkedIn before. And I've really appreciated the stats. I'm like, that many people in enablement under yeah. three years. I know not, not much. I mean, that's what I'm that, you know, that's what I'm trying to do on LinkedIn is just trying to share as many as, you know, best practices as I can. I try to connect with like the, the communities out there I, that, you know, that, you know, that exist and, and a lot of, and a lot of folks to just to try to, you know, crowdsource as many effective, you know, strategies as I can. Cause I, re I, I love the enablement function, the, the, the entire, like, uh, you know, value proposition of the of the entire idea around enablement right it's, it is important and, it, and and people are seeing that but again as we get more and more as companies get more and more data savvy they're going to be able to start really correlating you know and associating enablement adoption with sales outcomes right we're, we're getting better and better at that you know it's you know especially even even here at snowflake using our own you know internal you know application on in in snowflake to try to correlate that as much as we can and i you know it's it's going to be i think it'll be a challenge once once people start looking at the data and seeing like if, if that enablement adoption and usage is not being associated or or at least or, or correlated with better outcomes or you know we, we might be seeing you know a lot of a lot of struggle or a lot of challenges within the enablement team so it's it's you know there's there's kind of a, a fire and there should be a fire in everybody's belly to really <laughs> figure this out and, and understand like how do we make sure what we're doing really is helping people you know perform the behaviors that that are going to eventually be, that are going to drive the results that are going to help them perform as as effectively as possible yeah yeah tying it into those results for sure that it's just that it's the gold standard yeah. Difficult to do at times, but like, but certainly something worth figuring out, especially if we're going to like continue to push the, push the envelope, continue to like raise enablement status higher and higher. Yeah. So this is SAS Ramp Podcast. So this is like uh, all these enablement challenges associated with growth. You're at Snowflake. Snowflake is famous for hyper growth. What might be some... I don't know, maybe like current challenges associated with growth or some of the problems that you might be seeing over the course of the last year in particular. Yeah. I mean, not only is Snowflake associated with growth, I think our customers are too. I think I, I just saw a stat. It was like the top. So the, the four, the four companies, the four, the four fastest companies to go from 1 million to a hundred million ARR are all running applications on Snowflake. All their data is in Snowflake, right? So not only are we like, you know, fast growing ourselves, but we're also helping our customers get there as well. So pretty cool, cool stats, cool uh, company to be a part of for sure on that, on that side of things. The challenge with, I think with like scaling that ramp, especially as organizations get, get bigger, 
is not having a clear understanding of what each role needs to do. Even for smaller companies that might just have like one segment of a, you know, of a seller, right? A, Snowflake, for an example, we have multiple different segments, of, you know, of, a, of an account executive. But even if you just have one, I, I think a challenge with understanding how do we, how do we scale? How do we like ramp, ramp up is there's this disconnect between, or maybe not disconnect, but maybe just lack of clarity around what behaviors are going to get us there. It, ultimately, the definition of enablement is to enable people to do something, <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're trying to help them do something. And, and if we don't have that clarity around what we need to enable them to do, it's going to be very difficult to scale those efforts effectively. So that's, I think, a key challenge or obstacle that hold a lot of companies back is just not never taking that time to get really specific. It takes a lot of time to outline, you know, what the seller journey looks like, what, you know, to build a really uh, detailed competency map, for an example, of, 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 every, of all the behaviors that need to be applied and what, you know, which seller workflows are associated to what, you know, leading indicators and sales outcomes. That all takes a lot of time. But for me personally, if I were in charge of, you know, building an enablement team from scratch, that's the first thing I would do. I wouldn't build any programs <laughs> initially or anything like that. I would just, I would start with what are we trying to achieve and start backcasting from there. All right, if that's what we're trying to achieve, if that's our, you know, our, our gold star or if that's, you know, the, the growth we want to hit, what are the indicators that suggest we're going to get to that? And then based on whatever those indicators are, it's like, okay, what, you know, seller workflows are going to get, are, are associated with what, right? So whether that be territory planning or account planning or pipeline generation or opportunity management, figuring out how the, like where we, what workflows are going to drive those indicators and then getting very specific around what specific behaviors. So for example, when you're in territory planning, what specific behaviors do people need, do people need to execute on in order to execute that workflow that's going to support the execution of that indicator and that ultimate, you know, that outcome. And again, without that, without that clarity around what to do, it's not only is it help, not only is it difficult for sellers because they're not a lot of times they're just, there's a lot of, again, ambiguity around, Hey, what do I actually do? How do I actually, once I get my list of accounts, I'm supposed to hit quote at the end of the year, what do I do in between that time? Like, of course, most sellers are experienced. They're going to figure it out. But I think I, so much more that you success could be hit at such at such a faster pace if that clarity and those and then and then the support resources to to perform each of those behaviors was actually provided to start off with. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, like whenever you miss, like you miss your turn or something like that, and then you don't see the turn for a while. You're like, oh no, like there's no place to turn around, and it feels like yeah. you just ran four <laughs> miles. And yeah. then you finally do get to turn around and you're like backtracking. You're like going through a path you've already been before. And then it's like, oh, I was only like 200 yards up the street. It's like yeah. not a big deal. But you feel lost as you're moving farther away from where you're supposed to have obtained something like. And so I think when people are in ramp, when regardless of ramp, like not even just onboarding, but ongoing, like if things change in the marketplace, like they always will. If you change roles, like even a, even a, a little bit if you change territories it's it's always a new proposition and so 
yeah, would be nice to have like that path, at least somewhat paved yeah. some milestones set, set in front of you for sure. Um, what's, what happens with reps? Like, like, what do you see over the course of, of your day to day, like rep behaviors or feelings whenever they don't quite have those things? Cause sometimes you're having to deal with the emotions first before you can even, you know, start creating some practical resources. Yeah. Well, we're all, we're all familiar with the term of what the quiet quitting, right? That's like, that's been like trending on social media for, for a while. And, you know, you know, sales organizations are not immune to that. In fact, they're probably, they probably have some of the highest feelings of burnout. There's some Gartner stats, Gartner stats out there that I, I recently stumbled upon. It was, it it was somewhere, it was close to 90%. It was like nine out of 10 sellers report feeling burned out right from, like from from work right and and then uh, it was like over half of them are actively looking for a job because of it and a lot of that comes from or at least this was like Gartner's take on it a lot of that is coming from like the majority of sales reps feeling like or, or you know they they say they feel like a cog in the machine right because you know because oftentimes it's leadership sales leadership dictating how they perform their jobs now, I was just talking about how provide, we need to provide that path. We need to provide that clarity around what to, you know, what to do. But, but there's, you know, it's, it, 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 there's a balancing act. And you want to provide that clarity or, uh, around here's what to do. Here's how to, here's how to succeed here. But you also don't want to, you also don't want to make them feel like that, like a cog in machine, right? We, we've, we've all, you know, seen that, whether it be an extremely, I've seen some extremely strict like sales processes. For before with like detailed checklists that they have to do, you see email scripts that they have to send. These are the email scripts we send. These are the cold calling scripts that we use. You know, it, it, like it, it takes ultimately, you know, we are like humans are extremely creative creatures. We want to express that creation and sales is, is no, no different, right? There is of course a, a science to sales, but just as much there's a, you know, there's a huge art to it. And if we remove the art of sales, you know, in the sake of productivity, we're going to be losing reps, right? So that's a, that's a huge part of it is, you know, by, by prioritizing KPIs and productivity, we're burning our reps out. So that's, that's a big one. And another main source of that, that burnout is, is, you know, another, again, another thing from Gartner. I, I, I love reading those Gartner reports, but reps are just extremely overburdened, right? And, and according to Gartner, there was like three types of like complexities that burden sales the most. So there's, there's like the customer complexity, right? They, they have this ever-growing number of stakeholders, you know, and, and all from different business units to involve and manage. There's the product complexity, so number two which is they just have this ever-growing set of products and solutions, new use cases to try to understand themselves and then to try to position appropriately to customers. But then the last one is that internal complexity. So just an ever-growing and evolving quantity of policies, procedures, processes, methodologies, systems, all to execute your job function. And what was interesting is, you know, it, it internal complexity was by far you know, the, it, it was you know, the majority of the rep burden was attributed most to that internal complexity. And it, it, it was causing the highest, highest amount of like seller frustrations. It was even causing, I think they attributed it to like 20% of all stalled or closed lost deals result from internal complexity, 
right? So we're losing reps and losing deals from from this like from 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 all this from all this complexity we're throwing on sales. We're 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 trying as much as we can to like here are more here are you know here are more you know tools to use. Here's more enablement. Here's more this and that. And it's just adding so much to their it's adding so much pl- to their plate. It's adding so much complexity to their to their job that you know when we were just talking about that path, like you mentioned providing them like a path to go down. Now that path is like it, it, there, it, it's you know riddled with a, a whole bunch of things, ho- hoops to jump through, different tools to use, but they're not quite sure how to use those tools. And oh, I forgot to do this pol- policy, so I've got to t- you know yeah, take a few steps back to fill fill out that form appropriately. I've got to wait for these approval processes in order to take a next step. It's just you know so again, it's it's we want to provide that path for them. But then we also just want to like, here are the resources you need and just try to make that path as easy as we can for reps to, to be able to walk down. Otherwise, your reps are just going to be overburdened and feel burnt out. And if they're feeling that way, according to, to all of the data out there, they are actively looking for a new job if, if, those are, if, if that's how they're feeling. Those, those are some, those are wild stats. I mean, like yeah. I, I, I'd seen ones like, not pre-pandemic, but maybe I don't know. Pre-like pandemic went on and on and on, and it was uh, it was like an eighteen-month tenure, like standard tenure for yeah. executive SaaS account executives. And this sounds like it's even kind of a little bit more intense. So yeah, obviously a a big problem. I know there's various what? ways to kind of like combat that, but like what what do you what do you think? Like given your your abilities to, because you kind of gave a, a hypothetical, like I wouldn't create any programs first. I would go ask these specific questions and, and stuff like that. But like, but what if you do come in and it's already well underway as in, you know, most people do, what would your thoughts be then? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an extremely important, um, step to, for, to, to first ask. Right. And especially because of that stat you just threw out there where it was like 18, the average tenure for sales reps is like 18 months. The scarier, the, the, the parallel stat that makes that even more scary is the average time to ramp, right? I, of course, that, that's going to vary dependent on company, but I have seen at, you know, I have seen, you know, so time to productivity. So time to, hey, this person is as productive as everybody else, like that core performance. I've, I've seen it at, like in that 12 months, 12 month range. I've even seen in order to get to top performer status, right? In order to a new rep to get to top performer, it's around that like 16 month time frame. So that's even scarier because so by the the the, the moment the moment your reps receive like or the moments your reps become like core performers or top performers, they're ready to leave. So it's like you're never you never have this like sustained group of high performing reps because they're because by the time they get high performing, they all leave. So th- those are two really scary stats to kind of pair together. And that kind of brings me, that's like, that's also a kind of a good segue of like, you know, what, you know, what to do, how do you, how do you, how do you prevent that? How do you prevent, you know, it take it, it, it taking a year for your reps to get ramped up and, and even more, and even more time to get them to like top performer performing status and then to avoid them actually leaving in the first place 
And I think it really does come down to this transition from, you know, a event-based enablement, right? So building events to solve problems or develop skills or transfer knowledge to building an enablement ecosystem, right? To, re to really focusing on the environment itself. There's, again, I'm, I, I, I love my stats. There's a good book called Telling Training Story where the author showed, again, based on their research, when the majority of the resources, I think it was like 85, 90% or something, but when the majority of the resources go to the design, development, and delivery of a, of the, of a formal learning event, so whether that be an e-learning course, whether that be a live instructor-led session, a workshop at SCO, whatever, you know, whatever it is, only 15% of those participants sustain those new behaviors. On the flip side, right, when they did the, the so, so on the flip side, when the majority of the resources went to the application environment, right, so that when they was, were supporting maybe some pre-work, some reinforcement stuff, but then really focusing on like, once they get back to their job, once they leave this event, do they have, is the environment set up in a way for them to sustain these new behaviors? When the majority of the resources go to that, that flips to 85% of people Ooh. sustain those new behaviors. So that's like the, that there's like one piece of research that's been like guiding all of my enablement efforts. It's that it's, we have to train. There's, there's no event that by itself, there's no training event, no matter how good whether you get the, the, the greatest, you know, you could get Josh, Josh Braun or any of the other, like the, the greats out there. I, 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 I hope I'm not throwing Josh Braun under the bus. <laughs> He's obviously knows a lot more about like sales trading than me, but he, but the, the general consensus is that there's no e, there's no training event that by itself, no matter how good it is, it's going to sustain those new behaviors for very long. You need a cohesive effort. You need to focus on the actual environment itself can we do can we do a few more examples from there do event example and then like ecosystem example because i heard something about like like the application afterwards that helped me understand a little bit more about what ecosystem might be and then i heard like sales kickoffs go skfs go for any audience knows but just in case uh, for uh, for like an event piece and it was 15 percent versus 85 percent. so worth some additional examples for sure yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could do this. You could do this for anything. You could do it. A SCO is a per. I mean, oftentimes, like you know, SCO is a perfect example because it 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 often is seen like as a as a um, it it's typically is an event based type of thing. And and again, just right. like those events don't necessarily like sustain themselves. So if I were to if I were to design something for for SCO. It, it would have to be just included in the enablement ecosystem itself. So let's say, let's say we want people to, to adopt better active listening or something like that for the, you know, for, within discovery. We, a typical example, an event-based example would be at SCO. Everybody shows up to SCO. Maybe, maybe they do a little pre-work or something, but everybody shows up at SCO. They do this workshop. It's the, the majority of it is a lecture based. So probably like the majority of it is lecture talking about it. And then there's like one or two breakout sessions where people go out and they like, you know, break out and they practice some things. Mm -hmm. And then 
an hour and 90 minutes go by and that's pretty much it, right? And, you know, maybe they have some follow-up content like built for it, but, but in an event-based world, like you do the event, you do the workshop, you know, maybe you gather survey data. Hey, did you guys like it? And everybody gives you a big thumbs up and it's like, all right, we did a great job, right? We, we had a great event. Now, again, according to the data, only 15% of those participants are going to sustain those like new behaviors. So really like what's the true ROI on that? If only a handful of folks are actually adopting that longer term. An example of like the, an enabling ecosystem instead would be to try to, to, to be figuring out, like, again, going back to that, like competency map example, figuring out what behaviors do they need to apply in order to, what behaviors are necessary in order to effectively apply these, this, these new competencies of, you know, applying active listening during, during discovery and, and whatnot. And then from there, you're really, really focusing on making sure, do they have the knowledge, is, do they have the accessible knowledge, right? Do, is the information that is required to perform these behaviors, is it shared? Is it easily accessible? Preferably like in the flow of work, right? So making sure that, that it's actually, you know, in, in the flow of work is obviously, is obviously, you know, best. The next, the next like layer up is like that performance support. So guidance on actually how to perform the behavior is also like embedded into the flow of work and, and, and really easily, you know, accessible. And those are often in the forms of like what good looks like. So, you know, that not only maybe before a discovery call, they could watch a couple examples of what good looks like. They can, they have maybe even before or during a discovery call, they have a, a guide or, a, a, or like a, a format or a flow to follow to ensure they're taking the proper steps to ensure that they are in fact active listening, to make sure that they are diving deeper, maybe we're providing them with some questions to ask and whatnot. Love it. So, so again, it, it's all about making sure that the environment itself, making sure that they have proper communication and, and, and reinforcement to ensure that they're doing it, making sure that they have, that there's social learning opportunities that involved as well to, and, and coaching opportunities to, to provide it. And then once you have built that more comprehensive ecosystem itself now you can start figuring now you can start thinking about okay how do we kind of like like how do we pour some gasoline on this fire at sco so how you know how can we you know after you get everybody after you embed all of that into the environment itself now it's time to start maybe thinking about all right what what specific skills do we have people practice on and get re immediate feedback and coaching on at SCO to really refine these things. And then of course, what does the follow-up <laughs> coaching and application, you know, look like as well. So again, those are a little bit of the, those, that would be like an, ex an example difference between an event based workshop at SCO and yeah. trying to think of something at it, it, in terms of the environment and using and, and, and using SCO as a component within your environment, as opposed to something, something that's totally separate. So this is helpful to me and for like a way different reason, but it's applicable. So I've got a TED talk. I am super excited to have this thing. Like I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to put in, we'll just see. It was like the day of, and I got my little subject line. This is what it would be about. And it's like, I didn't write that. I just like thought that was provocative and sounded cool. So I, I, I wrote yeah. it. And so <laughs> I got it, but it's next week. And so I, I'm sitting here going, put it together, memorize it. 
I don't memorize well. So I really, it really has to like be things that strike me that are interesting to me that I think an audience yeah. will like as well. So I put together an event, basically. This is an event. I'm on stage. I'm talking at people. And I'm just like, and, and I'm, I'm curious about whether, like how much as an enablement person, like I'm always wanting to get them involved. Yeah. Um, so there's two things that I can do. I won't go into it here, but like now I know I can't, like I definitely should. 85% versus 15% means I have to actually now like put these two things in. It's like an imagine if you will and take them through like these three steps and see if they can do something at least in their own mind while I'm on stage. And then a little epilogue piece that tells them like next steps, what would you do next? It's not like a normal TED talk thing to do. It's usually mm -hmm. just get, get up and deliver your message right. and like hope that you didn't stumble on the red carpet because you got no notes, no nothing, no slides. Yes. <laughs> but at this point, I'm like, okay. Nick said I have to because of that's <laughs> right here. So like, dude, I'm all in. Like that was really helpful to me actually right then. Yeah. What about other enablement leaders? Like, all right. So, so say like if, if everybody's like me and they just gathered that and they go, oh, that's stark. Like I'm, I'm already there. Their, their minds are working like mine. Like how could I utilize this piece of information right away? What would we do instead if we're trying, if we're more typically creating these events? Like what else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it comes down to those like, like three primary steps. It's like, first you have to build that competency map, right? You have to understand what are the specific behaviors we're trying to enable? You know, what, what are the specific behaviors we need these, these reps to, to perform consistent, consistently and accurately on the job, right? So first build that competency map. Second would be it's a framework that I coined. So you prime each behavior. We can kind of dive into that, but but the the prime framework there it 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 attempts to fill the five primary gaps that typically prevent performance. So if somebody's not performing a behavior, it's typically because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the skills, they're not motivated to do it, they haven't received proper communication in order to know to do it consistently and accurately. Or their their environment isn't set up for success. So by so Prime is of course an acronym, and it's meant to address all five of those, ensuring that you fill all of those potential performance gaps. So P being prepared, are they prepared to do it? Do they have the foundational knowledge required and accessible to perform? Mm -hmm. R is ready. Are they ready to do it? So this is where skills comes into play, right? Do they have the skills required to perform the behavior? This is where practice, training, and coaching would, would, of course, come into play. I is inspired, right? So that, that obviously addresses the motivation gap. Like, do they have the motivation to consistently perform the behavior? Do they believe it's worthwhile to actually do? Do they think there's a better way to do it? If so, why? M is means. So do, are the means available for them to do it, right? This, do they have the support and the resources to accurately perform that behavior? And then E is ensure, right? Are we ensuring they actually do it? So do they have the appropriate accountability and a communication components in there required to consistently perform the behavior? So after you build the competency map, you then prime each behavior, right? To, to see, all right, of the performance gaps, which ones are most important for us to be, to, to fill that way we could cover all of our bases, right? So you use that framework essentially to ensure you're covering your bases, ensuring that all of those performance gaps are in fact covered. And then lastly, you build a 
that enablement ecosystem. And I don't know how much more time we have left. I could I could spend an hour talking about the enablement ecosystem. It's probably the <laughs> it's probably deserving of its own podcast. But at the very least, totally. if, you, if we have time, I could at least provide at least like the, the general idea of, 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 of what you need to build for it. <laughs> Hit us with it. Yeah, we're coming up on it. But like, yeah, do okay. tell us. And then we're going to be sure to get your like uh, kind of like where to connect with you because there's, yeah. there's a lot here. So we're going <laughs> to. I know. Some, I know. You might there's get some things after this. That's what we're. That's I know. Thinking, I know but. for sure. There's like all of these concepts, whether it be a competency map, the prime framework of this enablement ecosystem. You, I could literally talk about two for two hours each. But for once you, so once you have the behaviors that you want to, or once you've outlined the behaviors in the competency map, and once you've kind of brainstormed how are we going to prime the execution of these behaviors, you don't just immediately start throwing everything up at the wall, right? There, there are certain behaviors and skills that that need that that they they all have different needs right and, and that's basically based off of their how difficult is it to perform and how critical is it to, to perform based off of those things again you're only you you so the general idea with the enablement ecosystem and, and again i could maybe share a graphic after the you know after i know we, we, we do apologize after. for the podcast sometimes yeah. like sometimes <laughs> like it's just like this would be an, a perfect illustration for sure but but the general idea is that so in order to avoid that event-based stuff, because what what do most people do, right? When they say we, we need a reps to do this, or you know we need reps to do this better, they immediately they immediately go, yeah, they immediately go, oh, like they need a training, we need a session on this, you know, let's get every, let's lock everybody in a room and have them watch this PowerPoint. It's not the right way to do. So you want to start at the bottom. So the bottom would be so in the prime framework that's where p and m come into into play so do are they prepared are, are you preparing them to do it and do they have the means to do it so is do they have that accessible knowledge and that performance support first once you have that on so again you start at the bottom and you only build up to as high as you need to go so are they prepared and do they have the means after that you want to do the e and the i so are you ensuring they do it and are they inspired to do it so this is where a proper cadence of communication around what to do, how to do it, why you should be doing it, and also reinforcement, right? Sharing examples. So when somebody performs the behavior, it does a great job at it. Are you reinforcing that, that behavior by acknowledging it, by sharing it with the field and saying, hey, everybody, look at what you know, Pete just did. It's, you know, that obviously is going to reinforce Pete's desire to do it. It's also going to reinforce everybody. It's going to remind everybody, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what good looks like. I want to be, you know, highlighted too <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and and whatnot. So are you ensuring that they do it? Are you inspiring they, that they do it? At the top level, the final level, that's where the R comes in. Ready. Are they ready to do it? And rem and, and remember, not the, the the readiness piece is associated to skills. And if you're not sure, is this like a true skill or not? Ask yourself, does this require a lot of practice and hands-on coaching? If the answer is no, it's not a skill. You don't need to build it up that high. And so, and again, so how difficult is it? How critical is it? That those are obviously really important to, to think about too. But once you get up to, you know, those really critical, difficult skills that need practice, that need coaching, that's where you can start figuring out like some actual formal coaching or formal training that again, is not lecture-based. It's all application practice and coaching. It's all interactive courseware, so it's not passive e-learning courses. So it, it, 
that's you only so again the general idea there is that the way in which you transition from an event based type of function to more of an ecosystem is to start at the bottom and only build yeah. up to how high you need of course including elements like coaching and social learning all along the way but that's the general idea of the the, the ecosystem idea there <laughs> I am glad to like, so, cause those three things, like they weave together and that's always like, if something can like, can come full circle, like if you can get a 360 out of something like that, it's, uh, and that's really helpful. I, I really like the prime foundation. The, the TED talk I'm delivering is all about I, it's all about I, it's like that one piece essentially, which makes for a good TED talk. Cause it's like one of those, it's like, oh, inspiration, fantastic. But it's and broadly applicable, not just, but I could take what you just delivered and kind of like overlay it across many, many areas. I, that's what's really, really interesting about frameworks like that, because it's like, yeah. it's like what I, they say Einstein was looking for the entire time. He was looking for like a universal law. Like yeah. what is one mathematical equation that works in a lot of different environments? And so that's what's also intriguing about this. So it doesn't just have to be for, you know, for SAS enablement, like you can take this and you can go broadly with it, Yeah, which is pretty, pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, let's do two things. Let's do, let's do, where can we find you? Where do you like to be contacted and located? Because I've noticed you offer things out like this before, like free of charge, just kind of like just doing your work to, what's, what's the saying? And it, Elevating one, enablement. That's it. Elevating yeah. enablement. One, one, one post at a time on LinkedIn. But yeah. is, is that the spot LinkedIn for you? That's it right now. Yeah, I, I have, I have plans. Now, if, now, if only my, my two rambunctious daughters, they're four and two, would, would provide me with any free time outside of work <laughs> and just like parenting life and stuff like that, I, I, maybe I would get to it. But yeah, eventually, I've, you know, plans to have like, a, you know, you know, potentially a website, a newsletter and some other, oh. you know, resources for, for folks. But as of right now, LinkedIn is the place to go. Okay. Fantastic. LinkedIn, Nick Lawrence, you'll see him at mentioned anyway, when we release this soon. And then final question, this is SaaS Rent Podcast and you're in SaaS software as a service, just in case, again, nobody yeah. knows. What yeah. does SaaS Ramp mean to you? SaaS Ramp. It's a good question. I, there's a, there's a, there's a good book called Design for How People Learn. And it's written by Julie Dirksen or Durkin. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on her last name, but it's a, it's a great book for anybody that's like in, in the actual like learning experience or trying to figure out like, Hey, if we're going to create some enablement, like stuff, is this actually conducive to how people actually learn new things? Yeah. Great. But one of the concepts that I thought was interesting in there. And I, and again, it's kind of like, you know, it corresponds a little bit with what you're, what you're asking is this idea of like scaffolding. So in order to take somebody, you know, from here to there, right, you obviously, you obviously need a ramp. Now, depending on where somebody is or where an organization is, they, that gap might look a little bit differently. And so in the book, she was basically talking about like really understanding like, you know, what really understanding like where the individual or in this case, a SaaS company is today. Where do they want to be in order to provide them with the appro appropriate level of scaffolding, right? To, yeah. to get up. Yeah. Because if you make it, if you make it too high, right? It, like if, if, if you make it too high, 
they're not going to be able to get there. If you make it too, you know, if, if, if the ramp is way too long, that's obviously not good either. So you want to, you want to try to figure out the, the best way in order to do the proper scaffolding based on the individual's experience and needs or the company's experience and needs and where they want to be. So I think that's, as far as me, you know, again, when I think ramp, I, I think of a ramp. <laughs> so that's, that's what I was thinking about. Like, but again, depending on different needs, everybody's going to need a different ramp. So how do you scaffold appropriately based on the individual or the organization? That term scaffolding, I, I love it. I don't know. It hit me like three years ago or so, and it's just so applicable. It, 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 cause it, cause it, that's what people climb up on like one yeah. at a time. That's what they put siding on with, et cetera. So that term like elicits like building something for somebody in my yeah. mind. It, it's very appropriate like term and that book be appropriate for your role and kind of what yeah. you're doing for Snowflake. Really cool stuff. I know I got a lot out of that and that I can like apply immediately. Actually, I kind of have a lot to do in between now and then. That's on <laughs> November 16th. And I am horrified at this point about the fact because you're juggling all these different things all of a sudden. And you're like, oh, you're about to get to do this very important thing. So like that was completely timely for me. Nice. Um, so I hope the audience got as much as I did. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, if anybody has any questions for Nick, it's uh, it's Nick Lawrence. He'll be at mentioned within the LinkedIn post releases at Snowflake. Can't miss them. And there's some really good content he's offering out. So Thank you, guys. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Podcast Pete. Podcast Pete. Enabler Nick. (laughs) 